born January 31, 1919, in Cairo, Georgia. Jack Roosevelt Robinson was the youngest of five siblings. He followed his older brother, Mac, into athletics. Mac went off and he competed in the 1936 Olympics. This is an athlete who had won a medal under the eye of Adolf Hitler. He came back to Pasadena, and Mac Robinson could only find work as a garbage man. That's something that Jackie Robinson never forget. Robinson was a star athlete at Pasadena Junior College and became the first UCLA student to win varsity letters in four sports, basketball, football, track, and baseball. He was a local tennis champion. He was a local football stud. He was a great track star. Well, Jackie Robinson, baseball was really almost the last thing he was great at. He was great at everything. He could have done anything. While in the Army, Robinson was arrested for refusing to move to the back of a segregated bus. Robinson fought a court-martial and was eventually given an honorable discharge. Jackie Robinson was sick and tired of the U.S. Army, and the U.S. Army felt that they had a problem on their hands with Lieutenant Robinson, so they uh, agreed that he would be honorably discharged. With the Negro Leagues as his only opportunity to play professional baseball, Robinson joined the Kansas City Monarchs in 1945. That same year, he was given a life-changing invitation by Branch Rickey of the Brooklyn Dodgers. There were players in the Negro League that were just as good, if not better, than Jackie Robinson. But Branch Rickey understood that he needed more than just a superb baseball player. He needed someone who had flawless and impeccable character, and he found that person in Jackie Robinson. Despite harsh opposition, Robinson was selected as the first rookie of the year became the first man in the league in 26 years to steal his way around the bases. And in 1955, he helped the Brooklyn Dodgers win the World Series against the New York Yankees. The valor with which Jackie Robinson responded to the jeers and the hatred and the bigoted remarks in the catcalls is one of the great silent portraits in American history. Under that hail of threats and epithets, he would walk into the batter's box and you know, about a little over the third of the time, because I believe he batted a 330-something that year, he'd get a hit. That's what he did. He certainly didn't cower. He certainly didn't flinch. And there were a lot of bean balls thrown at him. Jackie Robinson wasn't just a great symbol. He was a great baseball player. He led the Brooklyn Dodgers to six pennants when he was there. This is a Brooklyn Dodger team that was called the Bums, because they couldn't win. Jackie Robinson led them, and part of it was his fire. His fire kept them going. Shortly after being traded to the New York Giants, Robinson retired from baseball in 1957 and became a business executive. After Jackie Robinson left baseball, his fight wasn't over. I mean, he continued to fight for civil rights. He was a member of the NAACP's upper management campaign for them, campaign with Dr. King uh, to try and integrate a lot of America. Also, you know, opened up a bank in Harlem. I mean, this was a guy who this meant more to him than just his legacy as a baseball player. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1962 and later died from a heart attack on October 24, 1972. In 2005, Jackie Robinson was honored with the Congressional Gold Medal. The story of Jackie Robinson changed the literal complexion of the game. It changed the complexion of images that we saw black and white photos in newspapers and on television. It put a black man at the center of the story of America. And I think we've been an imperfect but infinitely better society ever since.
Well, you can clap. It's a, it's a great video, isn't it? Okay. So, I'm really loud, right? It's pretty loud. Um, happy Mother's Day, first and foremost. Obviously, very special day. Um, the video, okay? Um, really good video, four minutes on a major historical figure um, in our history. But it leaves out some things. Um, and the things that it leaves out about Jackie Robinson and, most importantly, even Branch Rickey, the manager of the Brooklyn Dodgers, was that Branch Rickey, uh, this is a very interesting story to kind of dig into um, because there's a lot of trains of thought on it out there. Branch Rickey was a devout Christian man who had actually been um, going to churches and asking for people to pray for him and praying himself um, on who to select for what he knew was going to be um, a decision of historical magnitude. And like the video says, there were a lot of players in the Negro League that were actually better baseball players than Jackie Robinson was. However, Branch Rickey didn't choose Jackie Robinson based on his ability alone. Um, he chose Jackie because he knew his character was going to even play a greater role in that. Ricky knew that monumental injustice was going to come upon um, Jackie Robinson and that Jackie Robinson's Christ-like faith uh, gave a good indication of how he would respond to it when it did come. We probably will never have to go through um, the injustice in our lives that Jackie Robinson encountered in his life. However, Scripture promises us, unfortunately, but it's for our own good, Scripture promises us that we are going to face troubles and we are going to face persecution in this world. Um, and in the face of that, that's kind of what we want to look at today, is in the face of adversity, in the face of injustice, in the face of possible threat, because it is going to happen to us, how do we respond? How do I respond as a follower of Christ? So, First and foremost, we need to look at the fact that there's a battle going on within all of us between our flesh and the Spirit. Um, if we are a follower of Christ and we have that Spirit and this God's Holy Spirit within us, there's a battle going on for our heart. And in the face of adversity, injustice, and possible threat, in our flesh, we tend to, I don't know about you, but I respond to fear, um, which results in many emotions. Maybe emotions like anger, that's one of mine, aggression, hate, bitterness, judgment. Sometimes um, it also causes us, whenever we respond in this way, to shut down or to stop communicating altogether. Uh, we, might even we might even resort in our lives when we're, uh, fear is upon us to, to go to uh, believing lies that people are telling about us. Or even sometimes... I know this is hard to believe, but we resort to the telling of lies. And we think a lot of times as a middle school teacher, you know, I might say, like, stop acting like a middle schooler, right, when somebody's telling a lie, making something out about somebody because they're afraid. However, we as adults do what? We do the exact same thing. We might even compromise our own values because we're afraid. On the flip side of that, when we respond to adversity and to injustice and threat, within the spirit, it looks totally different. 
we're going to face, we face it at that point with calmness, with clarity, with love, with self-control, with courage, with power, with humility, with grace, and with mercy. We can choose to speak the truth in love, and we can remain grounded in the truth at all times. Like Jackie Robinson, there's a man described in the book of Acts that we've been studying who is a person that's chosen to do a very important job because of his impeccable character. And he too, like Jackie Robinson, ends up facing adversity, injustice, and danger. And this man is Stephen. Brian mentioned him last week when he taught on Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. He mentioned him as a man who had been selected by the apostles to help take care of the Greek widows. And throughout chapters 6 and 7 of Acts, we see Stephen um, was chosen for this position because he was a man of good reputation and because he was full of the Holy Spirit. The fact alone that he was full of the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned four times in this section of Scripture. And that tells us, being filled with the Holy Spirit, that he was one, full of wisdom. We find that in verse 3 of chapter 6. He's also full of faith. He's full of grace and he's full of power. And we see that he's actually speaking with wisdom and the Spirit. Now, the rest of Stephen's story is going to actually cover 68 verses over two chapters. And I have good news for you. I'm not going to read all 68 verses today. Right? All you guys that are going out to eat for Mother's Day are like, thanks, or we'll never get, get our food. Um, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to work through it, kind of, um, we're going to read it, the account, um, and it's, we're not going to do it in its entirety, but we're going to look at the events as they actually happen. Um, we're going to work through it. Um, I would encourage you to go to the, to the story of Stephen and to spend some time in that this week. Uh, it's been really good for me. A lot of times, you know, whenever we speak, it's way better for us because we um, are in it all week, whereas you just hear a 25-minute um, snippet of kind of what God's been, God's really revealed a lot to me personally throughout this all week. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for uh, Mother's Day, a day we could um, just spend time honoring uh, mothers and the uh, sacrifice um, that it takes to fill that role within the family. And um, sacrifice tends to be uh, a, a kind of a, a tone for the day. And we just want to honor that. We want to honor that too as far as the sacrifice that you've given to us, the examples you've given to us. And we thank you for the sacrifice that we're going to see in Stephen today and that you've put this account in your word for a purpose and um, for us to learn, learn more about ourselves and learn more about you. In Christ's name, amen. So as we hop into Acts today, and you're more than welcome to open up your Bible and follow along, or we're going to have the scriptures on the screen behind me, um, we're going to immediately see that there's more evidence of the Holy Spirit working in Stephen throughout this entire account. We read in 6, 8, um, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, that, and Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. The power of the Holy Spirit was in Stephen which was allowing him to do super, supernatural things, just like the things that we've talked about in Acts before that the apostles have been doing for the first six chapters. 
verses 9 and 10 go on to describe what happens next. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Now, I've got to believe that probably whenever Stephen was actually chosen for the position of distributing food, that he probably wasn't the most noticed individual in the room. You know, kind of a important but kind of lower level kind of job when it comes to exposure. However, we see here that he begins speaking boldly and performing signs and miracles, which is going to get him what? It's going to get him noticed. He's going to get attention. And Stephen is actually going to get attention that he probably hadn't hoped for because he's declaring that Jesus is the Messiah and the Jewish people clearly are threatened by that, by that message. And they are going to respond with resistance, serious resistance. Now, because Stephen is full of the Holy Spirit um, and is able to speak with undeniable wisdom, they soon, the Jewish people soon realize that they cannot win the argument. Um, they're really not even contending with Stephen. They're really battling it out with God himself through his Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned earlier, people respond to perceived threat in various ways. I'm guilty of this. I think we all are. We have our kind of way that we, that looks with us personally. Often we um, allow various kinds of fear to influence and dictate our responses to situations. Like the fear of the future, maybe the fear of disaster, the fear of man, the fear of being alone. Um, my personal one that I lay claim to is the fear of not being in control. That's whenever, that's when it gets nasty with me. Unfortunately, this crowd who felt threatened by Stevens, um, they resorted to distorting words and actions and making false claims against him. We see this in verses 11 through 15, um, where they make up lies as a result um, of Stephen and what he's saying. They're filled with fear, so they're going to make up lies. We're gonna, let's read this, um, Acts 6, 11 through 15. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change their, the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. They go around and they stir the pot, right? They make up lies about Stephen. Now, Stephen finds himself in a situation where I think he could have very easily let fear and let anger from the injustice that he's experiencing motivate and shape his response. However, 
he was, what do we know? We know four times it tells us he is full of the Holy Spirit. So much that his face actually looks like an angel because the Spirit of God is living inside him. That's kind of convicting to me. I'm like, you know, Moses, the same deal, right? When he came off the mountain after experiencing God, you know, his face was like glowing. And I'm like, do, do I glow? You know, do I glow with the Spirit of God inside of me? Second Timothy tells us that God does not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So here's Stephen, right? Here's a situation. He stands before the council, and the high priest of the council says, are these things so? Are you saying these things? Remember, Stephen's been accused of some bad stuff, and he didn't do it. It's not what he's saying. If we were to find ourselves in the same situation as Stephen is in, I think some logical responses I know that I would have would be to first take it very personal, right? I would immediately want to start defending myself, right? Defending myself in my actions or my character. Um, something else I might want to do is like start citing my resume, right? Of all the good things I've done and, and all to uphold my good reputation. Like, no, you've got it wrong. This is who I am. However, that's not what Stephen does. Instead, he does not take it personal at all. But instead, he clearly recognizes that the people are resisting not him, but the Holy Spirit, opening their eyes to God's plan over time. His response to the priest's question turns into a speech. They ask a very short question. Hey, are these things so? And if you go back and read this, we're not going to read it all today. I mean, he gives this fiery, eloquent speech. It's very long, but that is totally a demonstration of speaking the truth in love and in power and in self-control. Like I said, I'm not going to read it. I'm going to do my best to summarize it, though, in four quick points, okay? And if you want to go back and read it on your own, I would highly encourage that. You will probably be as confused as I was whenever I read it, so I had to start reading all kind of summaries to try to figure out what the heck it was talking about. But Stephen starts to recount in detail how Israel had been rebellious from the very beginning. And if you guys were here from like January to May last year when we talked about the Old Testament history, this is going to sound very familiar. So he's like, hey, you've been rebellious from the very beginning, you Jewish people. You continually resist God's plan and provision. He also tells the Jewish people that they have rejected the great rulers and prophets that God has graciously and patiently given them throughout time. This pattern continues all through history. And Stephen makes that point, okay, that it's a failure to trust God and that that's continuing to happen with the current people right there. He's like, listen, this is what you've been doing from the very beginning, and you're doing it right now because why? Because you reject Jesus as part of God's sovereign plan. You just don't get it. And Stephen ends the speech with, and I'll read it, verses uh, 51 through 53. I'm going to read it out of the, the, uh, the, new, the NLT translation, and we'll talk about that a little bit. It says, Stephen says to the leaders, 
you stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. You deliberately disobeyed God's law, even though you received it from the hands of angels. Remember, Stephen has a spirit of power, and this is a, by far a powerful response, but that power is based in the truth. He calls the people stubborn. If you have the, um, the ESV version, it says stiff-necked. In reference, I, I, don't, I think I would rather be called stubborn personally than stiff-necked, but what's stiff-necked? It's referring to a cow that's hooked to a plow that's refusing to go in the direction that the person running the plow is trying to take it. And I think about um, the, my stubbornness, right, is totally based in my flesh. Like for me personally, like how many times have we been just like the Jewish leaders where we have failed to see and trust God for the things that are happening in our lives and, and we want to, to just look at things through our flesh. So how does... How do the Jewish leaders respond to being called, one, stiff-necked? And then really, a pretty strong speech that he gives um, telling him that they're um, refusing to acknowledge the Holy Spirit. They're, they respond in their flesh. They respond with anger. Verse 54 says, Now that they had heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. So these leaders are so angry that they literally are grinding their teeth at Stephen. Now, how Stephen going to respond to this? As we read on, he responds not in his flesh, but in the spirit. He fixes his eyes on Jesus. Verses 55 and 56 say, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Right? That's his response to people standing and, right? Like grinding their teeth at him that they're so angry. He chooses to not look around him at the people and how they're responding to his speech, but he chooses to look where? He chooses to look up, to fix his eyes on Jesus. And he can only do this because he is full of the Holy Spirit. That's what's coming out of him. So, obviously, this probably doesn't make the Jewish leaders very happy, right? I mean, they're like ticked at this guy, and then he just, can you imagine? Like, they're like ticked at him, and he's doing what? He's like looking into the heavens and describing what he sees, right? That never works for us, like, as people, does it? We're kind of like this, you know? It's kind of like a modern day, like talk to the hand. Talk to the hand. I'm focused on what's up here. How does, how do the leaders respond to that? They turn, their anger turns into actual screaming and physical aggression. Again, reacting in their flesh. We see verses 57 and 58. But they, the Jewish people, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. 
And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Imagine a big bunch of like old Jewish men with long beards, right? Screaming at Stephen as they ran to him, covering their ears. Ah, you know what I mean? As they ran at him and are throwing him out of the city, picking up rocks, and they start heaving them at him to kill him. What would our response be if we were Stephen in that case? Stephen, again, full of the Spirit, responds with humility. We read that he actually cries out to God and asks him to forgive the people who were persecuting and killing him. As they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Kind of reminds me of a story of, I don't know, a God that sent his son who's going to be killed by people on a cross and ask for those people to be forgiven for what they're doing, even while he's dying. Stephen is all in here, 100%. He is beautifully living out 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 21 that's, that read, For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. For those of us that enjoy a happy ending to a story, to an account, this doesn't really appear to work out to be a very happy ending. Stephen dies at the hands of his accusers. As followers of Christ, however, death here on earth does not mean an end of life. Thank goodness, huh? That's why Luke, the writer of Acts, chooses to say that Stephen fell asleep rather than Stephen died. I think this is a beautiful picture of death, right? a picture um, of peace in the heart and fury of an angry mob, a picture of expectation and assurance that we will wake up at some point. Falling asleep actually brings about very positive thoughts for most of us, right? Especially from my middle school, high school, and college-age kids, correct? Falling asleep is a very good thing even if it means you sleep till like noon, right? Whether it's holding a sleeping baby or crawling into bed at night after a long, hard day, sleep is something that, um, sleep is something not to be dreaded, but rather something that we embrace. We sleep when we're weary so that we can wake up refreshed. We lie down weak and we wake up strong. We lie down sick and broken and rise up healthy and renewed. This is the picture that we as Christians need to keep in mind when we think of our own earthly death. This made me think of a quote um, from Billy Graham that was widely circulated after his recent death, and you probably have heard this. He actually adapted a quote from D.L. Moody to read, quote, Someday when you read or you hear that Billy Graham is dead, don't you believe a word of it. I shall be more alive than I am now. 
I will just have changed my address. I will have gone to be in the presence of God. We have a ladies' Bible study that meets here at the greenhouse that's been looking on uh, studying fear and anxiety. And um, Stephanie came across this blog written by a mom named Whitney about her nine-year-old daughter and her response to the passing of Billy Graham. I'd like to read that to you. She writes, As we waited for her brother to finish swim practice, my girl sat quietly as she listened to Billy Graham's distinct voice and powerful words through old videos. The announcement of his death had flooded national news feeds and radio stations earlier that day, and she wanted to know just who this great man of God was. After some time and clearly overwhelming emotion, she couldn't remain silent any longer. With tears streaming down her face, she carefully whispered, He was kind, but he wasn't afraid. His kindness seemed a given. She had expected as much. She, but unafraid to speak the message of the gospel with such boldness and clarity, that was what had moved her to the core. Someday, when we die or fall asleep, people are going to have the opportunity to say things about us. If we would have read on into the next chapter in Acts, it explains that the people said great lamentations about Stephen. The question we need to ask ourselves is, what will people say about us? Will they say we were kind? Will they say we faced adversity and injustice with calmness, with clarity, with love, with self-control, with power and humility, with grace, with mercy, with courage? Did we choose to speak the truth in love and remain grounded in the truth at all times? Will they say that we had character like Jackie Robinson? like Stephen, like Billy Graham? But most importantly, will they say that we imitated the ultimate example of how to face adversity and injustice? Did we follow the Son of God? Did we follow Christ, who was sent to be a kind servant, who was falsely accused, who did not defend himself when accused, who was beaten and killed as a sacrifice for us, and who asked his killers to be forgiven. These questions could put a lot of stress and a lot of pressure on us to perform. However, we need to remember that we don't have to do this on our own. And we cannot do this on our own. And God's plan is not for us to even try to do this on our own. From the beginning, the plan has been a plan that provides us a way to look like Christ through him. It is only when we commit or surrender to a relationship with Jesus Christ by believing in our hearts and by confessing with our mouths that Jesus is the Son of God 
at that point that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the same spirit of power and of love and of self-control that filled Stephen. And, and let's get this straight, that this is not about Stephen. This is about what God was doing through his spirit in Stephen. He had the same spirit that also, this same spirit enables us to face adversity and injustice like our Savior Jesus Christ faced while he was here on earth. It's a beautiful picture of an individual of Stephen who was following the example that Christ had already set. And I think when we talk about surrendering and we talk about giving our lives over and establishing a relationship with Jesus Christ, I think that there's, there's two parts here to us. If, if you've never accepted Christ before, if that su initial surrender of your life and saying, like, take it, I want to give it to you, I believe that you are the Son of God sent to die for my sins, then that surrender, that initial surrender begins a relationship. And that relationship is a constant growing relationship where, where we have God's Spirit and then daily we still have to surrender to that Spirit. Right? Daily we have to surrender as Stephen. I'm sure as Stephen was being persecuted and being stoned and being lied about, that he and his flesh wanted to defend himself so, so badly. But yet, because he had surrendered to Christ and he had the Holy Spirit, he was able to respond in the Spirit, which as we look at this is an exact picture of how Jesus himself responded. So I, I just want to encourage if you don't know Christ today, that it begins with that initialing surrendering. And if you do know Christ and you have a relationship with him, with him, then we have to surrender every day to be led by the Spirit instead of being led by the flesh. Let's pray. Dear God, I just um, am humbled by how clear your word is to us of what you are able to do when we allow you to work in us. When we die to our flesh and we let your spirit lead us, that even in the times where we think there's no way that I could respond in any other way but defending myself and sticking up for myself, that we can look like Christ looked, that we could be calm, that we could be showing love and, and patience and I just pray that no matter in our lives, as we are at work, as we're at school, as we're in relationships with other people, we are going to face those injustices. We are going to face those hard times of adversity. And I pray that we would respond in the same way that Stephen responded, who was just mimicking what he knew that you responded as you responded on the cross. I pray that we would look to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.